Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is Brad Kearns. You have to look at where in your regular life you are, your body is bracing, because that's telling you that you're stressed in that moment. So if you can kind of find yourself with five minutes, an opportunity to kind of settle in and softening your body and just taking a few deep breaths, that's incredible practice to do. Hey listeners, I have an awesome and beautiful podcast for you from Dr. Elisha Goldstein, founder of the Center for Mindful Living in Los Angeles, California, his wife Stephanie co-founder. They are doing some incredible work there. And this guy just hit me up out of the blue with sort of a uh, email pitch. We field so many of these, hey, want to get on your podcast? Yeah, yeah. I noticed he was in LA and I like to do podcasts in person to make that connection. So I said, hey, why not? Didn't really know what to expect. I didn't have a lot of preparation going. I was squeezing him into a, a busy day with a couple other podcast appointments of people that I go after and target and know and have an association with. So I just showed up a little late, sorry, Elisha, into his beautiful center, and we went into one of the best discussions I have had in recent memory, and I think this guy is going to change my life, man. As he delivered his message in such a clear and impassioned manner, I felt like he was talking directly to me, which he was because we were sitting across the table. But man, this guy hit me in the ribs, man, and was twisting the knife around. And it was such an awakening to realize our habitual use of technology that has become an addiction. We're all familiar with this and we talk about it and complain about it, but it's because we've created a habit. And we talk so often about creating positive habits like, hey, Brad Kearns, I jump in cold water every morning. It's so awesome. It's become a habit. I don't even complain or cringe at the water. I go in there and do my breathing. But then again, I reach for my phone. Oh, guess what? I turned off all my notifications. Big deal, because I still reach for it habitually. It's an automatic behavior. Same with keeping the email window open and engaging throughout the day with email when in another window I'm trying to focus on a peak performance cognitive task like write an article or do research for a book or contribute something tremendous to the world rather than just clear my inbox. Whew, this guy hit me hard, man, with a big smile and a warm open, you know, acceptance that one of the steps in healing is to accept that you're not perfect and move on and try again rather than self-flagellate and complain about it and commiserate with other people. I'm telling you, this podcast is going to blow your mind. We jumped it up the lineup because at the end he gave a little pitch for his course that begins in September on a certain date and runs to December. I'm like, all right, man, you just jumped the lineup, not only because you brought a beautiful A-game, but because you have this intensive six-month guided course in mindfulness. So, wow, take a look at the website. Think about it. Could change your life. What an honor and a privilege to sit with Dr. Elisha Goldstein. Enjoy the show about mindful living and breaking our habituation to technology. And also, forget about the technology. What about our anxious thoughts and our racing mind and all these things that we complain about in everyday life? And how good it will feel to take charge of your life again and make some positive changes. Here's how. We got step-by-step approach along with the beautiful commentary. Dr. Goldstein, bring in the A-game. Dr. Elisha Goldstein, 
the Center for Mindfulness here in West Los Angeles. So excited to join you. And we have some, we have some important stuff to talk about, man, because we got, we got issues today in modern world. I'm, I'm concerned about my own tendency for distractibility and hyperconnectivity, which seems to be the opposite of mindfulness, which is your game and what you're helping people with here. So tell me how we can uh, manage the challenges of high-tech modern life. We'll go from there. Okay, well, you know, that's a that's a great question, Brad, and also probably the, the question of our time, I would say. Um, everybody, almost everyone, I would say, is struggling right now with um, feeling overconnected uh, and sort of obsessive-compulsive um, with being pulled towards their tech and distracted. Um, you know, the number one thing that actually helps us, I think, kind of get on the road of achieving success, peak for peak performance is really starting to focus on honing attention again. Like, how do you hone focus? Uh, you know, how do you start to, um, what's the keys to um, the ability to begin to attend to what matters again? Because right now we fall into this place of um, being fooled by what seems to be urgent, um, notifications, something popping up, you know, on our phone, um, or you actually, we don't even need a notification anymore. In fact, one of the hacks that that's out there, you know, with our phones is to turn off all notifications, right? Turn off all notifications except for key notifications. So we're not, um, uh, pulled towards our phone. But what happens is with a lot of people is it's all internalized right now. So the programming is really there and it's intense. So our brain works off memories, and it sees something in uh, our environment, or it has some kind of emotion. It pulls in, or goes into the into the past to say, "What is this, and how do I deal with it?" And then it kind of spits out a perception and an action after that. And so, what happens is we get now pulled towards our tech or distractibility just by the mere programming. We don't actually even need the environment anymore. We've kind of internalized that. Right. This is uh, genetic hardwiring that we are wired to respond to novel stimuli in the environment. In the, in the old days, in life or death survival times, it was because there was a rustling in the bushes that we needed to be attentive to. And now it's the ding. We get the dopamine hit from the text message and try as we might, we're still, we're still pulled to it. You know, another thing to consider is it's not even just the dopamine Hit. It's not the the need for stimulation, although because we're all, we are addicted to stimulation, that's that's no question. We've been programmed, you know, in that way as well. But part of it's our underlying anxiety that we've created in our culture now. Oh. So so we need to. Re- it's more that we need to relieve the anxiety. So you know, you've heard these terms: FOMO, fear of missing out, or FOCU, fear of keeping up, right? And so it's. Oh, this- I haven't heard the second one. Wait, what is that? F O. Oh, fuck you. Exactly. <laughs> and hey, so, where have you been? You're late again. Fuck you. Fuck you. Gotta Fear keep of keeping up. Yeah. Oh Fear my goodness. Up. And that's sometimes more driving than the FOMO. Uh huh. Because uh, now in this 24 seven world we've lived in for quite a while now, yeah. um, you know, the all we have to do to create a habit is intentionally practice and repeat something over time. It becomes automatic, right? We don't need to pay attention anymore. So um, the brain does that, you know, it, it's practice and repeats, we create this habit, and then it says, okay, you know, it kind of taps you and says, you don't need to pay attention, you don't need to be conscious about this anymore, I'll just do this for you automatically. And so now we are automatically um, in, in this kind of pool of 24-7 being on, um, and again, just kind of being pulled towards distraction. How many people do you know now, I mean, you could kind of survey parents, you can survey anyone and say, how often do you just singularly attend to something? 
right now? When you wash the dishes, do you wash the dishes? Or are you washing the dishes while doing something else? While you're working out, are you on the treadmill while watching TV, while watching sports or CNN or something? Or are you just working out? Like, um, we, we're constantly pulled in many directions. And so we've just trained this in our minds now. We've trained this ability to just uh, pull ourselves towards distraction. And then our culture kind of pulls us in that direction as well. Our environment, you see everyone else doing it. So the brain says, oh, monkey see, monkey do. That's what I'll do. Yeah, well, the social media app makers uh, have very smart people spending hours and hours figuring out ways to uh, to prey upon these tendencies that we have, and so they draw you in. One of the one of the examples was that if you're there to do a tidy little uh, task on Facebook, such as delete your account, um, the process of deleting your account is laborious because they know that you might be going to get lazy and give up. Or uh, same thing with accepting a friend. Um, you are presented with uh, options to uh, consider another couple dozen uh, choices and decisions to accept friends. And that's done purposefully to continue to have you engage more time with the application. Yeah. And so this is, you, 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 I think you hit the nail on the head one, and people are starting to realize this. And this has been out in the news more, you know, I think in the past year, these confessions that have come out by, you know, all these social confessions. media. Confessions, yeah. yeah. They're sort yeah. of confessions, right? Yeah. And they're confessions. And the interesting thing about, about um, you know, creating this, to creating technology in order to hook us. And so now we, we are a programmed culture at this point. But then you get those same people who say, you ask them, okay, well, what do you, what's your rules with your kids, um, you know, when it comes to the tech that you created? I don't, I don't let them go on it. You know, and, and I'm a pro-tech person. Like, mm. I love technology. I was the guy in my graduate school, first year, you know, who was the only one sitting there with a laptop, you know, in a circle. And people were kind of looking at me kind of funny. I went to a kind of an alternative graduate school. But, um, and, uh, and so I love technology. And I have to say, in my own life, I've, I'm constantly being curious about, you know, my own relationship with technology um, and, you know, how I can kind of optimize it to get some freedom. I mean, I do, mm. I do interesting experiments, which people here might kind of consider, which is, you know, just kind of leaving, and this is sound, would sound crazy in this day and age, right, to just leave your tech at home for, you know, I don't know, a few hours or a day or something like that, and just see what you notice. And what you, what you start to see is maybe at times there's this bracing that happens in the body, like, um, like you, those phantom vibrations that can happen as well. But I th- what, what I notice in my life is I, I start to relax a whole lot more. It's really interesting. Like my body physically responds to me not having some distance. And that's not to say that now we need to create distance from technology. No, we just need to kind of optimize our relationship to it. Um, there, in the world's wisdoms traditions, for thousands of years, there's been like a day of Sabbath, right? Just a day off is what they're saying. You know, just take a day off. And, um, you know, what would it be like? I just kind of be curious about what would it be like if everyone took a day off just once a week from their tech and, um, and see what you noticed. Um, and just as, an, as just an experiment and just see what you notice. Right, and the idea of everyone doing it then you're not missing out. Then you don't have FOMO anymore. It's like when you're in Spain and the stores are closed from 2.30 to 4.15 all over the place, then there's no, there, there's no advantage. Uh, but I think what happened here in this uh, fast-paced culture is someone realized that um, they can get a huge advantage if they open their store on Sunday and mm-hmm. then all hell broke loose and now here we are with you know, the 24-7. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly it. And so one person taking, I don't know, like I got to ask you, like I take time away from my email to go have fun and um, hang out on the boat one day and go for a hike, you know, a, a, a 
detachment from my normal life. And then I come back and I'm slammed and overwhelmed. And it's almost like it compromises some of the value of the vacation Mm -hmm. because no one else stopped with me. They just piled it on. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, and at the same time, that's, there's this, there's this, this thought that I can't take that time away because there's going to be this, again, this folk, folk you kind of coming up, right? Because when you get back, it's going to be this mountain of stuff. So people put these little reminders in there or that these responders in their email basically saying like, I'm taking, I mean, what would this be like actually? Even so for people take time, when people take time away, some, some people put out reminders that say, I'm going to be away for this many days. Um, it, any emails that you're sending, I'm not going to look it over. Um, if this is important, I'm coming back on this day and send me the email You know when mm. I come back, right? So they're not coming back to a mountain of mm. emails. Or if this is important, you know, and you you know where to get me if you know who you know, or something like you that. You know who you are. You know who you are. You know yeah. If you know my number, you can kind of get me or something like yeah. that. That's another way of doing that. And I'd be curious again. Again, we're just kind of breaking through what we think is possible because, again, we're programmed sort of into a box with with our relationship with tech. And so we can ask ourselves, you know, what would it be like to send a reminder, put an auto reminder and I mean a responder, sorry, in our email if I'm popping out for three hours saying, if you're sending this for the next three hours, I'm not going to be, you know, looking over these emails. If this is important, contact me, you know, after this time. Yeah, you get those, like Tim Ferriss talks about his batching of emails and then the little responder says, sorry, I only check emails in the morning and in the evening, so you'll have to wait. And it's, some, some of it's a little haughty and you wonder <laughs> if the person's actually um, doing what they say they're doing or they're just projecting this this image of productivity and, and greater discipline. Um, so that that's tricky too, but... Um, yeah, I, I would like to figure out a strategy to kind of overcome. And I, I think um, what you said about the habit forming, um, that, that's, that hit me pretty hard because if, if we've made this a habit, this hyper-connectivity, it's, it's literally out of our control because it's a habit. We just reach for our phone and we look and we look at and see if any texts. Okay. I turned off all my notifications on my phone. Oh, congratulations, Brad. But guess what? How many times do I reach for it a day? Probably a, a, a crap ton of times looking to see if I have any texts because I know the thing's not going to ding if I have any texts. So it's like I almost defeated the purpose. I get like a C minus instead of an A plus for turning off notifications because we're still addicted to um, the, the connection. The stimulation. We're addicted to stimulation. And, 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 and that, that goes to the point of it's not so much the notification anymore. I mean, there are a lot of, like, great hacks that are coming out, like turn your phone into grayscale. I did that. That didn't seem to make an impact for me. <laughs> but the, but, or turn off all your notifications or, you know, these different things. But the reality is, again, when it comes to habits, habits are things that are internalized. Our brain is, um, is wired to survive, right? It's not wired to be happy. It doesn't matter whether we're happy or not. Uh, it doesn't care. We're wired to survive because if we don't survive, we don't have any chance of being happy anyway. If we're happy, we don't survive. What's the point? So um, so it's constantly checking to make sure we're okay. So but there's a part of our brain actually that um, that's, that's, that's just monitoring how we're doing to keep us into balance. And if there's like an imbalance that's going on, let's say an anxiety that's happening, an underlying anxiety, it says um, uh, or a thought comes up, hey, you might be missing something. Um, then what it's going to do is it's going to create that thought is going to create and feeling is going to create an action. And that action is going to be to check. So mm. you don't need the notification anymore. That program's already happened. So all that says is, oh my God, I've really been programmed. It's internalized now. I'm doing this without the notifications, you know, at this point. 
So that's why when I say like, and it might be haughty to say, you know, send an autoresponder to say, I'm going to be gone for, or if you're on social media, you know, Facebook, I'm not checking this for a day. You know, basically, hopefully what you're doing to some people, some people be pissed off. Like, what do you mean you're not checking this for a day? You're not part of our culture. Uh, You're breaking free out of our culture. But, you know, be that rogue person because you might actually be inspiring some people Mm -hmm. too. Like, Mm -hmm. think of it on that coin. Sometimes I lead um, courses into the workplace and, you know, people are in their cubicles and we're, I, I do a lot of work with um, specific types of uh, understanding stress and dirt, certain meditations that help support people, you know, with, with balance, emotional balance, with uh, peak performance, stuff like that. And some people say, um, I don't feel comfortable closing my eyes and doing this meditation because some people are going to think like, what are they doing? Just resting or sleeping or, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I say to them, like, well, consider this for a second. Is it possible that you actually might be inspiring some of the people around you to take a break or take some time to themselves, you know, for a moment. And you might actually be supporting people. So just hold that in mind while we now engage this practice, uh, something like that. So we're, we're kind of saying breaking free from what our mind says, the initial judgment, the snap judgment of this is not okay, to say, well, what if it was okay? Or what else would happen? What are some other alternatives that might happen if I did this thing? If I broke from the convention that's mm-hmm. here right now, if I broke from the matrix, you know, that we're in. Uh, Ariana Huffington, with her uh, promoting of sleep, she takes a ne- when she was head of Huffington Post, she would leave her curtains in her, the glass windows to her office. She'd leave the curtains open and go take a nap so that people could see her taking a nap. And that was an accepted part of the workplace culture there with a do not disturb sign on the door, right? Like, hey, you're taking a nap. looks like you're taking a nap. No, it was like a, a purposeful thing to like show that the leader was on nap time. And therefore, I mean, what a great message to send is if you have that chance as a leader, but even as a random person closing your eyes at your desk and they see you doing that a few times a day, they can ask questions and starts to pick up some momentum. Yeah, maybe more of our leaders <laughs> should be doing that. Because <laughs> oh, they, sure. they set an example of shifting right. our implicit biases of what's okay and what's not okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, Albert, Albert Einstein, you know, had this quote that had been attributed to him that said, you know, and I'll maybe butcher this, but this is in my words, but, uh, you know, that, that um, this idea that we're separate from each other is an optical delusion of consciousness. What, what that means is, and if you get down to the quantum physics of it, you know, what we're starting to find is, you know, we're mostly made of space, you know, and there's kind of this energy flowing between, you know, people here. And so, you know, when you, when your, your actions or your thoughts or the way you are, you know, influences the people around you. And you see people like um, researchers like Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler at UC San Diego and, and there's another university um, who took uh, – um, research from this study called the Framingham study, which was measuring heart disease. And what they found what for over 50 year, 50 year longitudinal study. And when they took the data from that and they said, well, um, let's, let's see what happens when we look at relationships. And initially they did it around obesity and they found that you might know this study, mm, the clusters of obesity, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. That, that obesity is contagious up to three degrees, you know? So you see, you see your friend, you know, eating a particular way. So you go, okay, you give kind of permission to eat a particular way or not exercise and, you know, this type of thing back and forth, three degrees. So then they took that same study and that same data and did it for happiness and they did it for loneliness. And they found the same outcome that happiness, positive emotions and let general, uh, general level of life satisfaction is also contagious up to three degrees. And so is loneliness, contagious up to three degrees. And so it's really interesting when we consider 
that when you say Ariana Huffington is sitting there in her, you know, I know that the Huffington Post apparently was also famous for just having, um, uh, what did they have? They had um, free donuts. No, like in, within their within their office space, they had areas to sleep, basically oh, areas yeah. to rest. Pods, like Google's building these sleep pods now, <laughs> really fancy, like spaceship. You just close the door and you're in this pod. I've seen some of yeah. those amazing. And so and so, um, you know, we we can also begin to, with our own actions and behaviors, um, taking time out or paying attention to one person and listening to them, rather than that just being healthy for us and health, helping us relax. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near for red light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for B-Rad podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. 
Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. We also, are, our actions are contagious up to three degrees and behavioral contagion is a really well-researched area now at the same time. Um, and there's a ton of research around our behaviors influence are contagious to other people. Wow. I mean, we, we sense these or we believe these in a, in a casual manner that going out with uh, these two friends, they're kind of negative, they're kind of downers. You feel drained when you, when you leave the engagement. But um, now we have the science backing this up, saying you, you hang around people who are negative attitude, it's going gonna, it's gonna to push into you. Yeah, absolutely. There was, a, there was a study done years ago by a guy named Antonio Damasio out in the University of Southern California that, and, or, and, and, well, and actually some others prior to that, that showed that you know when you're looking at a monkey picking up a peanut and putting it to its mouth, the part of your brain that's involved with taking your arm and, and doing the same thing lights up. Wow. So you see some of the neuroscience behind it. You see some of the behavioral contagion around it. Um, so we really are, there really is this, this sense of interconnection. And so I just say, consider this for a second, is that Whatever you do for yourself that's around your own health and well-being, whether it's around your distractibility and trying to hone your attention, you know, to be able to focus on what matters, intentionally start training that. You're not just doing that for yourself. You're doing that for the people you spend most of your time wow. with. You're doing that for the, the ripple effects of their friends and friends and friends. And so what you, your actions are way greater than what you think they are. And that's why, that's some of the science about why everything you do matters. Uh, I'm thinking of the uh, either good example or bad example I set for my kids or out with my girlfriend. If both people have their phones, it's going to go, we're going to go back and forth disengaging. 
um, because I don't want to be bored. So I'm going to pull my phone out if someone's on their phone. And um, how to transcend that would be kind of, I guess you 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 work on yourself and and set an example in in all ways and have your have your discipline use of technology, and then you know it's likely that'll rub off with people around you. We can think of it like that. I mean, the number one thing really to do, like uh, Victor Frankl was a psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor. You're familiar with him. Who he has a great quote that's been attributed to him that said, "Between stimulus and response, there's a space." In that space lies our power to choose our response, and our response lies our growth and our freedom. And so really, um, the first step to be able to step into that space and get more familiar with it between the stimulus and response, because the stimu- that space is like tiny it can at be, the moment. It can be quick sometimes. Right? Yeah, it's not even there. It's like, bump, you know. bump. Hey, you <laughs> asshole, you just cut me off. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. or there's my phone. Let me pick it up and check. Yeah. Right? Even though I just checked it 15 seconds ago. Uh-huh. I think that they, the statistic right now is the average person is on their phone 11 hours a day or something like that. I saw that, yeah. So the, saw, yeah. the kids, um, they're referencing the, the, the number of text messages the average teenager sends is mind-blowing. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's, in t- it's stressful to be yeah. interacting that much. It's brain overload. Yeah. Um, but so the number thing, one thing we can do as a precursor to support us into widening that space is really to learn how to actively relax our nervous systems. Mm. And, you know, one way of, a very simple way of doing that, like that anyone can do anywhere, anytime without taking like 30 minutes out to sit and do a meditation is, um, is to, or go get a massage or something, is to just be on the lookout. It's very simple. This is one of the um, first things I teach people in this six-month immersion online um, uh, course called A Course in Mindful Living is look, be on the lookout where in your regular life you are, your body is bracing. So where is your body tensing? Because your body, your body is now holding the patterning of and the programming, the automatic programming. Um, and so... Where is it bracing? Because that's telling you that you're stressed in that moment. And so if you're stressed, you're going to kind of make more mistakes typically. I mean, a little bit of stress is okay. A lot of stress, that's where we get into trouble, right? And so, um, and so if your body is bracing, the first step is to actively soften your body. If you do this, like let's say three times a day. You just do it three times a day. And this again, this takes no time out. Actively, or, or maybe there's tension in your shoulder. You notice it's really intense, and so you actively choose to just stretch that area to open it a little bit. Um, you're going to notice some big changes. You're going to be a little bit more aware in your day. You're going to start widening that space between stimulus and response to be more open to the choices and possibilities that are there for you in the moment. Like, oh, do I really need to check this again after I checked it 15, 30 seconds ago? Um, or am I, do I want to pay attention to my kid who's trying to talk to me? right now, or my partner who's trying to like talk to me right now, telling me something really emotional that's an important part of their day, you know, or whatever it is, Uh, you'll get better at paying attention to what matters. And that's, in order to hone our attention, the first step is learning how to relax our, really relax our bodies. So noticing those times when you're bracing, going, oh, there I go bracing. I guess I do that in traffic a lot or on on tough conversations on the phone or something. Some people do that the moment they wake up in the morning. Their body is bracing from the alarm. Uh, they, if they have kids in the house or a partner, a tough conversation, it's right there in the morning. Some bad news in the morning, whatever it is. Oh, yeah, the anticipation of the traffic and getting out on time, um, the email, the mountain of emails. Sometimes when you think you're having fun and getting soothing through, check, through flipping through the variety of apps, really kind of check in with yourself and see how your body's doing in that moment. Uh. Your body might be kind of stressed 
trying to get out that, you know, 10-line text that you're trying to kind of beat out before you have to go somewhere else or whatever it before is. Before the light changes. <laughs> before yeah. the light changes, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we just check in. Your body's keeping score a bit, and it's kind of telling you, you know, how you're— how you're doing that you're in a way that your thoughts may not realize uh, in that moment. And the, and the first step is to just actively, act, first of all, what you start noticing as you're doing it is it's enjoyable. You start really enjoying relaxing your body. Uh, you, your car rides are better. <laughs> your relationships are better. Um, you feel better in your life when you're more relaxed. It's our natural state to feel kind of more calm and balanced. Uh, we just happen to live in a very frenetic world uh, that, um, really activates our nervous systems in major ways right now. Mm. Then we then we crash and burn, and are fried at the end of the uh, high stimulation gone. day. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Are we are we really meant to be this stimulated? It's just a good question to ask, and and and, and maybe that's just too abstract. Actually, am I meant? Am I am I okay being this stimulated? Is the question. Like check in with yourself. Like, to how do I feel throughout the day? Does it feel good to be this stimulated throughout the day, or do I need more moments of actively kind of balancing, relaxing my body, relaxing my mind? Um, inevitably, that'll help us focus more. That's the step two: to focus more on what matters. Yeah, I notice um, getting older. I can't do it anymore. You know, I can't stay without interruption in front of a computer screen for four straight hours or six straight hours, where maybe 20 years ago I could because I just had more juice in the tank. So I guess that's one of the good things about growing old is I need that downtime. And I, I notice these times in my day where I just have to sit there for a couple minutes. And you know this probably never occurred to me back when I was a kid, you're just running around, but we didn't have the technology either. So maybe I'm just trying to recalibrate to something that's natural. Are you big on uh, morning routines? Because I've talked a lot on the podcast and I'm a big enthusiast of cold therapy and I start my day jumping into the cold tub and I feel like it's a great meditative experience because the water's so cold, I have to focus on breathing uh, in order to not you know, succumb to the cold and spend the, the proper amount of time in there. Uh, but the, the main benefit I've noticed that's sort of less tangible is that I know that my day starts with this trip down to outside into the tank and it's sort of a, a ritual, just like pouring coffee, but it's something uh-huh. that I'm in control of and it shows that I have uh, discipline and focus to be able to jump into the water because it's, it's kind of cold. You have a cold tank in your... I have a chest freezer. So you listeners that haven't heard me pound this down your throat to date, you go on YouTube and uh, search for Brad Kern's chest freezer cold therapy. So you have a big chest freezer, the top opening, like you put meat in. Yeah. And I fill it with water. I plug it in on a timer, not all the time. Otherwise, it'd be a big block of ice, right? Uh-huh. So it, yep. it goes for two, three hours a day, and the water is about 38 degrees. So you open up the lid, you unplug it, of course, and you jump in, and you have a ready-made icy cold river like the Finns did in the winter and then running back to their sauna. And you can do contrast therapy where you go back and forth from the tub to a sauna or to a jacuzzi, and it's very relaxing. But I every to morning my, I do it. I have to it. get myself one of those. That oh, sounds really you, great. You'll, you'll, um, you'll be uh, completely... Completely, it'll change your life. It's so fun. And of course, there's hormonal and uh, cognitive benefits, blood circulation, all those physical benefits you oh, get yeah. from exposure to cold, like what yeah. they're doing in the cryotherapy chambers. But uh-huh. to me, that stuff's great. But I'm also feeling like 
I'm a person that maybe needs that structure and that pattern where this is part of my day along with uh, morning exercises. So I do the exercises, I jump in the tub and that pair, which doesn't take a long time. So I know I can do it every day. It's doable. Um, but it seems to maybe predict success later on with managing my email inbox when I should be writing a, uh, you know, distinct cognitive focus period. Yeah. You know what, that, that's a, I think that's a great example of, of something that, that people feel like is doable in the morning if they have kind of a cold tank that they can have because they can just go jump out there. Cold shower is fine too. Cold shower is fine too. Something that's a disciplined and, and uh, mindful, you know, health practice that this is what I do. Yeah. I, I have no doubt in my mind that doing what you think is ben- beneficial and healthy to your body right in the morning when you wake up sets up your day in a successful way because you already feel like at the very least of it, aside from whatever it's doing to you physically, you're sending yourself the message right in the morning that I care enough about myself to take care of myself. So you're, you're sending this idea of like confidence and self-care, like, you know, that that right in the morning for me, um, my kids wake me up like at, I don't know, 5.30 in the morning, quarter wow. six in the morning. Healthy kids, man. <laughs> they're, they're up or what, what, or my animals, it could be one of them. So the morning is a little bit harder for me, although I, I totally believe in that, like personally. So for me, what I have to do is I have to intersperse it throughout the day. And so I make sure that, you know, my days, you know, is kind of flexible, whether it's um, doing multiple short meditations in the day. And again, people have, you know, kind of a misnomer about like meditation is that it has to be some 20, 30 minute practice, an hour or something like that. Because a lot of the traditional, um, a lot of the traditions teach like you should be doing like two 20 minute, two 30 minute, two 45 minute practices, you know, throughout the day to really get the benefit of it. But really, again, what you're trying to do is create a habit, a certain habit of mind. So again, intentional practice and repetition creates that. So if you can kind of, um, uh, find yourself with five minutes um, in the day or 10 minutes or something. And again, this could be in a replacement of a different routine that's more auto- automatic for you, like checking your email for 10 <laughs> minutes as an example, right? So just kind of swapping one of those out for an opportunity to kind of settle in and uh, just be aware of your body and notice where the tensing is and just softening your body and just taking a few deep breaths. That's an incredible practice to do. Dr. Elisha Goldstein says it's okay to do a five-minute mini-meditation. Oh, are you too busy for that? I don't think so. The two times 30 minutes a day to sit quietly and think of nothing but your your breathing, that's a tough challenge, man. But a mini-meditation of five minutes with thumbs up from the doctor, go for it. Do it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Instead of your, I don't know, you could replace a cigarette break. That might be a good good swap right there too. You can make it totally, you can make something totally informal. Again, if, if, if one of the benefit, one of the ideas is to hone your attention, um, you could, if you if you have the ability to make breakfast and just focus on making breakfast. Oh yeah, on your on your um, p- uh, your your information there, the bio- biographical info. There was something about a tomato that changed your life. Is that? An orange, yeah. An orange, you're yeah. peeling and eating the orange. What oh, was that all about? Oh, man. Well, okay, so this was a time in my life where I was working hard and playing a whole lot harder, abusing my mind and body with tons of drugs and alcohol. It was a really intense time. And um, I took a month away. And I was in the corporate world, and I took a month away and um, to this kind of this retreat. And this guy introduced me to... And I was stressed. And I was, you know, also had a lot of emotions. And so this guy introduced me to an orange... 
he introduced me to an orange. He said, hi, this orange is Harry. And I'm like, <laughs> no, he said, introduced me to an orange. And he said, you know, Harry, just try this out. Like, just trust me. Like, just, you know, take this as an experiment. Play with this. Um, you know, just follow my instruction here. And he said, hold this orange. And he said, what do you see when you're holding this orange? And I say, well, it's orange. It's a, you know, it's round. I don't know. It has some dimples in it. And he goes, okay, now just follow my instruction. He said, now just smell it. Now don't tell me. Just have me come to my senses one by one as like a single tasking type of experience, hearing it, smelling it, and beginning to unpeel it. And as I did that, for the first time, I don't think I'd ever seen this before, except maybe some in some slow motion video, I saw the zest pop out you know, from the actual peel of the orange. And as I, as I did that and peeled it away, he said, well, what do you see? And I started seeing the membranes of the orange and the different colors. And then, so I was kind of bringing my senses to it, my full attention to this experience. And then as I peeled the orange away and eventually put it in my mouth, he said, now just bite through it and see if you can be aware of where the taste is on your tongue. Like, where does your tongue pick up taste? And I kind of tasted it and the juice was starting to flow. And, and quite literally, it was the most amazing orange, most flavorful orange I'd ever tasted in my entire life. And it made me realize, and, my, and he said, well, how do you feel? I said, well, I feel relaxed. I feel good. And it made me realize that it's not like meals as an example. It's not the food. And it's really my relationship with it and how I'm, in, how I'm paying attention to it sometimes that brings out the wonderful experience and even the flavors that are there, my enjoyment. And if we can be aware of more moments of enjoyment in our day uh, and we can allow ourselves to just kind of linger in them, because they're all there. We're just not attending to them. We're more attending to all the things we've been talking about here. Um, what would be different in our days, weeks, and months ahead if we were more aware of the uh, joyful moments that are out there. Um, what would that do for our physiology? What would that do for us mentally? What would that do for our happiness? And would it inspire others to do the same? I, I would argue that it would. And instead, we're a lot of times in uh, arguing conflict space. And I noticed that the, the most heartbreaking thing to me is when you're arguing about something that would be, by all accounts, be perceived as wonderful so um, the, the, the couple is arguing about which hotel to stay on their vacation. It's like, really? Wait a second. You're taking a vacation. You're going to a nice place. And then you're, uh, you're, you're, you're bickering about a nuance of this, um, you know, this opportunity that's, you, you could be arguing about getting evicted from your apartment, right? I mean, that, that might be a more understandable time to, to engage and have the stress and the emotions come up. But, you know, no matter how, no matter how we're doing, even if everything's great and my kids are healthy, that's you know that's that's high on my list of things that I I'm you know wouldn't want to complain about or uh, that there's something else we're going to find to to occupy our our high stress pattern. Well, because our brain's always on the lookout for what the problem might be. Yeah, you know, yeah, survival. In, yeah, yeah, and then it'll look into the past to see like how do I measure up and and fix this problem, and then it it might say what are the what are the potential issues that this problem might cause. And so we think of the worst case scenario that could possibly be there. Okay, That triggers our nervous system and says, oh my God, this is a potential worst case scenario. And so we start kind of going into fight or flight or freeze mode, you know, with our nervous system. And then what that does is again, skews our perception and says, what I need to do is really soothe myself. So I'm going to go check this right now. And we reach for our phone. Because that's a habit. Because that's the habit. That's the habit. (sighs) And so our body, our we didn't think to do that. Our body just knew mm. to do that in the same way it knows how when a, a bowl of soup is in front of us to grab the spoon and bring it to our mouth without thinking about it. Now we do the same thing with certain unhealthy soothing techniques that really only amplify our stress. may soothe us temporarily, but amplify our stress. 
And so we have to f- be I able to- I guess that's a drug, alcohol, text message, uh, obsessive checking. These are all going in that temporary soothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're doing stupid shit for a reason. Yeah. So I guess it's that we're getting temporarily, temporary payoff, but then winding down into a bad pattern. Yeah. And, and the question is what temporary bad payoff and then what happens after that? Yeah. Um, we might, if we have a partner who says like, why are you checking your phone so much? Or something like that. You start feeling a little shame, like something's wrong with me. And then you start, you don't, you're uncomfortable with that shame. So you lash out at them and you say like, well, I'm not, you know, I can't handle this. And so we, we kind of blurt it out. I think it was um, uh, Brene Brown who had a really great uh, definition of blame when she said, it's just an uncomfortable emotion that you just kind of like need to expel in some way. When you have an uncomfortable emotion, you expel it, so you blame it onto somebody else. And I thought that was a brilliant explanation. Uh, and so that's how we get in trouble in our relationships too. <laughs> uh, venting, right? You open up the vent. It's a, it's a great uh, a great word word choice. And yeah. so you're just you're just blowing off that 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 hot steam that arrived from some other maybe an interaction that was independent of who you're venting to. Yeah, v- venting at the expense of somebody else. Right. You know, like putting it on them versus like I'm just so stressed. I just got to tell you all about it. It's more of like, and it's your fault. Yeah, the same yeah different. I mean, venting's healthy when you have that uh, uh, partner to commiserate with and you know that uh, you, you're getting their total support and so you're going to complain about something that happened and get validation and all that great stuff. But when you're venting in that negative way, yeah, that's tough. I apologize on the on the air to, to, to Mia more because I identify a couple times where I vented and sort of was redirecting stress that came from another area. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible practice and it's super common. And we also kind of, um, there, there's some level of acceptance where, oh, you just had a bad day. That's why you came in and kicked the dog. And like that dog didn't deserve to be kicked. And, um, you know, there's no, there's no excuse for it, right? I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements, and you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code Brad20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. 
I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near for red light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The the benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for BRAD podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. Um, and the, there, well, there, there is that excuse. There's for, no justification for it. Yeah. And, and, but what I would say is, and this is important for everyone to understand when it comes to relationships, um, we, again, are... Our brain again is 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 wired to program things and to make them automatic. And so we have certain patterns we've created with our partners and our relationships that are just automatic. They they react a certain way, we react that way. You know, we don't again we don't need to pay attention anymore because we've gotten used to these people. Our brain has frozen them. We can do like, text message while we're arguing in that oh, same totally. yeah, pattern. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I got mercy. That. <laughs> and so the, the the first step is really to be on the lookout again in the in your relationship. Where are you bracing? Um, and then by doing that, the very moment you notice that, you've stepped into that space between stimulus and response. You've had mm. a moment of mindfulness, I would say. So congratulations for noticing you're being an asshole again. There you are. For real. Right there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so then you soften your body. And then mm. in that moment of awareness, you can choose like, well, how do I want to pay attention? How do I want to relate to this person right now? Maybe I want to be curious about their experience versus telling them how I think their experience should be or what I'm, you know, what I think the right way is. 
And in doing that, you create this opportunity to break out of the matrix again and create a moment of connection instead of a moment of disconnection. Disconnection is like a feeling of imbalance. It's a feeling of unhappiness. When we feel connected, we feel more balanced, we feel more happy. And so in our relationships, we want to move towards like, okay, well, what, what's something I'm doing right now that can kind of create connection? And in order to do that, we need awareness. We need to pay attention. So we need to, again, start training our ability to attend. And the first step there is learning how to relax. The first step. So what's the second step? The second step is now attending. Attending. So now it's like I'm relaxing. Now what do I want to pay attention to? Uh So now I'm starting to kind of tend for a little bit longer. Like, again, we can can train our attention. We can start training our attention, retraining our attention in our life from the programming of the distraction and the distractibility we've been experiencing that's that's enhancing our stress by just paying attention to one thing at a time, just for a period of time, just single tasking instead of multitasking. Mm. That's it. Just, like, just as training, the orange is a perfect example of something to do, do your work on. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was actually hired not long ago by a, a company. Sunkissed Oranges. This that would be show good. is sponsored by. <laughs> You'll see me yeah. on the commercial with a big smile, oh, yeah. orange in the middle yeah. of my mouth. Um, but by a, a beverage company that was asking me, does meditation and tasting this beverage have anything in common? Um, <laughs> is there any connection there? I said, well, as long as it's tasting it, sure, absolutely. And so I led a whole bunch of people in tasting you know, this beverage in a particular way, wow. bringing their senses to it. Yeah. So you could do something called meditasting. And so, you know, so to play off that ter- play off that word. And so we can we can kind of bring our attention to single tasking with anything, whether it's tasting food or a drink, or whether it's washing the dishes, or whether it's walking, or whether it's listening to our, our partners or our friends, or whether at a business meeting instead of and this is a huge crime in, in business right now, where there's business meetings that can last like two, four, six hours, and people are sitting there on their phones, like kind of answering emails and doing stuff like that. But um What's happening is the the inefficiency is huge because they're not actually paying attention to the meeting. And also what they're training the brain in doing, again, is multitasking and distractibility. And so if they just kind of put it down, soften their body, what they'd find is they're more relaxed and they actually can and they're actually training their mind and they're integrating and taking in more of what's happening in the with their partner, with their friend, with the meeting. They're making they're creating a feeling of connection, which is healthy and associated with happiness and well-being. And uh and so, yeah, we can connect with ourselves. We can connect with others. The first step is relaxing the nervous system, learning how to pay attention, just practicing paying attention on purpose. Dang, I'm also seeing the problem with the, the related problem of the two, four, six-hour meeting that's boring as heck. Yeah. And so you're compelled to whip out your phone. And I, I'm, I'm raising my hand like I'm that guy. Like I don't like to be bored. Yeah. And I'm so happy to have my phone when I'm standing in line at the bank because I don't feel that frustration of wasting my day standing in line because I'm doing something. I'm catching up on email. But then you, you keep going down that path. And I can, I, can, I can reference several times where I've been in a meeting and doing my own thing because the pace of the meeting wasn't what I deemed to be productive or I was bored off my, you know, off my ass. So um, then, we're, then we're going into a bad pattern where we whip out the device anytime that we're, we, we haven't you know, obtained the desired level of stimulus. Yeah, we've, 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 we've just kind of done the program. I would argue that the, the meetings wouldn't need to be four and six hours right. if people were paying attention. They right. could be much shorter. I mean, honestly, like if I'm uh, in charge of the meeting and I see one person on their phone, 
that's a great chance to, you know, recalibrate and say, hey, bud, do you want to come up and, you know, should we do your presentation next? Because clearly you're bored. I mean, that happened in third grade and we've forgotten about it now. I took my son to UCLA when he was in high school. He wanted to go to UCLA. He's at UCLA now. And we, we went into a Greek classics class. We just busted into the room and there was a class going on. Hey, check this out. Let's go sit in the back. And there was two thirds of the kids had a device and even a laptop open doing other stuff. And they were scattered all over this large lecture room where they could have crammed into the first three rows. And the professor was going on with a slideshow and it was kind of boring. It was low energy. And I walk out of there. I'm like, here's, here's my thing. If I'm the professor, first of all, I'm going to say, here's your choice. Bail if you're going to use a device or come to the first three rows and I'm going to rock your world and give you value added with a super funny, hilarious, memorable, uh, fast-moving lecture that's going to help you learn this stuff. Because when I went to college at UC Santa Barbara, I remember a handful of those professors, they would get standing ovations after their thing because we were so captivated by what they had to Uh say and the way that they said it and the enthusiasm that they had. And then you go to other classes and they're boring as heck and you're whispering and passing notes and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. So it's like, it's on the professor for being that boring that some dude had to, he had a great snowboard video. I was right in his line of sight on his laptop Uh and this guy was (laughs) shredding down, you know, the helicopter skiing. That's way more stimulating. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't a ski resort. It was just powder snowboarding in the Greek classics class at UCLA. But the whole thing you know, was, was enlightening to me about how, how messed up we are on, on all directions. Yeah, I, w- I would argue this. I wrote a blog quite a while ago called <laughs> The Surprising Power of Waiting. And, so, um, and, the, and the intention there was, yes, we are uh, addicted to stimulation, and so we feel bored. And as kids, we're kind of trained that you feel bored, go do something else, you know, figure it out. So oh, sometimes I tell my kids, I go, Dad, I'm bored. I'm like, you know, there's a real power in boredom. It's, you know, like, it's good to get used to being bored sometimes because, you know, the, the board, what's underneath boredom is anxiety. It's a restlessness. Like, I got to be doing something else. This isn't good enough right now. I got to do something. So imagine this. Imagine if you mastered restlessness and anxiety. Imagine if you created mastery over restlessness and anxiety, and restlessness and anxiety no longer were a source of suffering. Like, you can use stress, again, as a motivation. I don't want to get rid of stress. stress. Stress is really healthy. It's part of being human. And at the same time, it has these, you know, after a certain amount of time, it has, um, you know, the, the, the results go down and down. And so depleting results. But if you weren't um, controlled by anxiety, if restlessness no longer controlled you, but instead you can be aware of it and then choose what you want to do in the moment, you know, you would be way more grounded and balanced and focused. And you would feel like a great sense of personal control, which is associated with feeling happy in life. So what's the goal here? So is the goal is the goal like um, to keep keep busy and engaged, or is the goal to just feel good and feel happy and and feel connected, you know, in this world? Also productive and all of these things that we want, like to be our in control of our lives, you know. And so our emotions, the center part of our brain, is the greatest filter for um, our thoughts. And our actions, when we feel a particular, we can have the same event happen to us. If we feel like really down and depressed or anxious, we're going to perceive it one way. If we feel like good, we just came into like publisher's clearinghouse, just paid us millions of dollars and we had that same event that happened, it would like be water off a duck's feathers. Same event, depending on how we're feeling. So if we had mastery over our emotions um, and we would feel a great sense of control in our lives and that would be the source of a very 
enduring happiness. So if I'm feeling restless in line at the bank. There you go. And I'm going to put my phone away and just acknowledge my restless state and then do something about it, which could be uh, noticing the artwork on the wall of the bank or carrying a, starting no, a conversation. No, no, no here's what? what I would do. Here's what I would do. First, you have to tell yourself, I'm not doing nothing right now. Because that's the argument that's coming to your mind. I don't want to waste my time. Like, I'm going to check my phone because maybe I can, maybe I might be missing out on something or I can keep up with something right? Uh, to bring us back to where we started from. I'm not doing nothing. Actually, I'm training probably the most important, I'm creating the greatest sense of mental fitness right now by being aware of where the restlessness and discomfort is in my body, being curious about it, so connecting with myself. Remember, connection is the foundation of feeling happy. Uh, and seeing if I can soften around it and see if I can kind of open around it a little bit. Take a deep breath, expand it maybe, like play with it. Play with this feeling and see if you can come into a place of feeling okay in that moment. Because if you felt okay and good, like, okay, so then you can grab your phone or whatever. But do it from a place of consciousness and tension, attention. Don't do it from a place of impulse and compulsivity and obsession and stuff like that. Right. That's the first step. You're doing, you have the greatest opportunity. And I'm gonna get, we're going to get a lot of kickback on this from, what are you talking about? Nothing wrong with me on my phone. Um, that's fine. So, but I would argue that, like, just consider this for a second. If you had mastery over your emotions, waiting gives you a great opportunity for emotions to arise, that restlessness, that anxiety, whatever, that discomfort, and see if you can identify where that lives in your body and be aware of it and soften around it, extend it. See if you can create mastery or, um, uh, around that. Yeah, I um, reference many times in life, I'm sure you'll have the same examples where you have some downtime and these incredible insights come to you. And I have this spiral notebook. I mean, I'm a writer and I have my laptop is where I work, right? And I'm trying to do everything digitally, but once in a while I'll be sitting in the airplane gate. I'm not going to get my laptop out because I, I, I don't want to bother for the 12 minutes I'm waiting till they call my, my row. Um, but I'll get the spiral notebook out and I'll jot down some notes in a relaxed state, knowing that I don't have much time. So I'm not going for this four-hour binge where I'm going to sit and be productive and have my coffee steaming off uh, the the desk like a real writer. No, I'm just going in and and just feeling what's coming out. And a lot of times that will represent the centerpiece and the most important insights that lead to uh, many, many pages of a book. But they came out because I didn't force it and I just was relaxed and letting it flow. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, that's where when you're relaxed, you're, you, you're more open to inspiration. Um, uh, more open to inspiration. Yeah, sure. to being inspired by something. And I, I know as, as uh, someone who's been writing blogs for 10 years and written five books, you know, that the, the stuff that it, it's the best – when I, I, it's always the best when it comes from me being inspired by something. When I have to try and really force something out, it's never my best writing. It's never the most interesting thing, you know, I write. And it'll get the least likes, you know, that are out there. Unless I create some clever title or something like that. But, the, but, but when I'm inspired, when it's like, ooh, this is it. Like when you're able to relax, soften into it, you're inspired. A great meditation to do, by the way, if anyone's interested in it, is just to do a um, – like a um, just a regular breathing meditation where you soften your body. You just allow yourself to be aware of, of your body naturally breathing. But keep a notebook next to you. And when a thought comes up to you, a creative thought, 
pop out of the practice and jot that thought down and then go back into it. Because when you allow yourself to go into a state of just kind of, let's say, just basic meditation like that, you're dipping beneath the operating system a little bit, the programming that's been, you know, kind of soft wired into you, I would say, um, you know, through just growing up in this world and culture. Um, and you're dipping beneath that. And beneath that sometimes is some really fertile ground, some really creative ideas, some really kind of inspiring things. And, and you don't want to you don't want to necessarily. In doing this practice, you want to you want to capture them and write and write them down, and then bring it back. Some people would argue that, well, if they're really that important, just kind of leave them there, and they'll come back to you or something. But I would oh, say just capture yeah. them. Yeah, capture them. Write them down. Yeah. Let, then then you clear your head for further meditation. It could be that. Too. Right. Yeah. Um, so the step one is to actively relax, notice the places where you're bracing, and then step two is attend to it and and train yourself um, to. To, to overcome this distractibility and multitasking tendencies and just relax into it. So is there step three? I say step three is um, that when you um, fall off the path oh. uh, and you find yourself not doing this stuff, even though you had the intention and commitment to do it, that you forgive yourself for the time mm. gone by. So step three is forgive. Mm-hmm. Forgive yourself for the time gone by because the past is a past. There's nothing you could do about it. You can learn from it. So investigate like what you, why you fell off, like what happened. You get sick or did you just kind of forget about it and fell into different pa- old patterning, stuff like that. And then just invite yourself to begin again because now you're in that space between stimulus and response again. And you can just say, I'm present. I can just begin again. No big deal. I fell off the bike. I'm going to get back on. And I would say the final step, step four, is to just repeat step three indefinitely. And, you know, then you'll be right on your way to mastery. Wow. That's really big in the uh, diet, fitness, body transformation scene. And as we all know, the, the failure rate of dieting oh, is yeah. 99%. Um, but they think that that's um, overstated because people drop out. In other words, it's uh-huh. you know, it's not even it's it's not even one percent is not even that good. It's worse than that. But um, <laughs> uh, when you fail and f- you know, fall off the wagon, people just take that and they get discouraged, uh-huh. and so they have less resolve, less resiliency to continue. And so it's like kind of a self-defeating thing rather than saying, oh, you blew your diet uh, this weekend at the, uh, at the state fair. Well, let's start Monday. And for some reason, that's not sticking. Like it seems obvious, but why do people, why can't people I, I, I get that forgiveness a, part? There's a middle step that's important there, which is to investigate like what happened. Like, what, oh, yeah. why did I eat that cake at the, you know, or the, the you know, that uh, apple fritter at the mm-hmm. state fair, whatever it might be, right? Because my diet was too stressful and I hated it in the first place, et cetera, et cetera. I was highly stressed. Yeah. I, was, I was riddled with negative thoughts. And, you know, I, I got caught in the autopilot and I went to self-soothing. I just, you know, or, you know, I just, I just did a great job at work. Quote machine. You know that man, (laughs) this stuff, Brian, he's the audio guy that pulls off. I mean, it's like, you know what the best one, like the, this is the best I've ever heard described what a habit is. It's an intentional practice that you repeat until it becomes automatic and then it becomes, uh, uh, unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes a program. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like you uh, should be a recurring guest on the show because this stuff is just fabulous. I really appreciate your game here. So 
Let's maybe describe what you got going on here at the center or on your intensive online course for people. Yeah, um, I would just say that the biggest thing is really this, um, you know, what what I've found is in doing all the things that we've been talking about um, is what's hardest for people is the endurance part to kind of make it last. You have to make a commitment. You have to pra- practice and repeat something over a period of time to make it actually a habit. And um, so I realized that the pl- that People need time in order to create a habit. And the more complex the habit is, really, the more time we need. So that whole, like, 28 days or 21 days to create a habit, that's okay if you're, like, just kind of drinking water or something as a habit. <laughs> you know, something kind of simple. But if it's, like, something more complex, you need more time. Oh. And then in order for—because of this optical delusion of separateness you and I have been talking about, it actually takes, like, people who are—that you surround yourself with who are inspiring to you that can make it easier. If you had a tribe around you— who were all doing the things that you wanted to do, that would naturally lift you up and create, help you create motivation and permission to do this type of stuff. So what I did is I created a six-month online um, immersion mentorship program. I call it a coaching program called A Course in Mindful Living. And basically what happens is um, in doing that, we're trying to support people and doing exactly what you're, you and I were talking about today, helping them learn how to actively re- uh, relax their nervous systems, helping them focus, helping them be more aware in their lives, and the and helping them learn how to self-soothe during the difficult times and feel more connected and balanced. And the, the payoff of that is we're more in control of our lives. Um, we pay attention to what matters more. And inevitably, we support a greater sense of resiliency and happiness in our lives. And that's at home and at work. And so we integrate coaching throughout the program. So people are assigned a particular coach. They have one-to-one, a one-to-one connection with and a group connection with. And they have access to engaging these coaches regularly throughout the program. And they go through a really systematic six-month program that's surrounded by community. So the intention is that throughout the program, they connect with people um, locally. They can press a button and find people in their area if they want to. But they connect connect with people um, throughout the program, and they start to develop relationships with them. And even if they're online relationships, um, the very touches they give to these people on a regular basis – naturally starts to program this sense within their their minds that they're supported and they have a community of inspiring people around them that helps support the commitment that they want to make. And so that's the, that's a six-month program. The next one, I think, um, the registration uh, starts September 24th. Um, and oh, that so will be the next cohort. doing it together. We do it all together the whole time. So, yeah, September 24th, and then the actual course begins October 15th. Oh my goodness! We we'll have to put this podcast out uh, before that. Then. We're going we to jump the I guess lineup. I threw that. I guess I threw those dates out there. Yeah, <laughs> Dr. Elisha Goldstein, fabulous stuff. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get a whole a whole crew into the into the course. This is Great. this sounds exciting. Thank you so much for spending the time on the show. And I know you got to go to your your next mindful appointment. So. Glad to catch up to you. Great, great having you here, Brad. Hey, have you heard of genetic testing by now? You probably have. Yes, for the first time in history, we are able at a simple and affordable transaction to basically spit into a plastic tube mailed off and find out what your genes are all about. 
I love working with dnafit.com because it's so simple. You get a wonderful infographic report, which is easy to understand. You don't have to wade through a lot of science. Yes, you're going to get a detailed printout of many, many pages talking about the interactions of the various genes that are present and expressed in your body or not and how that affects your health. But the one-page infographic, that's when we're really talking because you can get actionable tips and insights that you have an elevated need for vitamin D, that you have a low tolerance for alcohol or a high tolerance for caffeine or lactose or omega-3s or antioxidants, the most important and life-changing insight that I received from my DNA fit test was that my genetics reveal a muscular makeup that's 54% power and strength and only 46% endurance. In other words, I was banging my head against the wall as an endurance athlete for years and years, training in a manner that was not optimally aligned with my genetic predispositions. Don't waste 20 years like I did not knowing what your genetics are all about when it comes to your dietary habits and exercise protocol. And because DNA Fit loves the Get Over Yourself podcast, they have created a special super-duper 30% discount off of all their products just by entering the code G-O-Y-30 when you're checking out. And if you have already ordered the fun, exciting Ancestry.com package, a great gift idea where you can get your family involved and everyone sends in their spit sample and you can get your ancestry. I'm 46% Ireland and 44% uh, England, Western Europe. I'm a pure breed. I don't know if that's good or bad. With dogs, it's bad. Probably with humans, not great either. But I am what I am, said Popeye and I, and my sister and my brother and my mom and dad all have our fun reports to look and see all this cool stuff at Ancestry.com, so check them out. But if you did an Ancestry.com report, or if you've done a 23andMe genetic report, the new technology allows DNA Fit to pull from the same central database and produce their fitness, health, diet, exercise genetic infographic for much less cost because you've already gone through the DNA sequencing from the other sources. So check that out on dnafit.com and leverage what you may have already done or get started with DNA Fit and get your diet and exercise right with that awesome 30% discount, G-O-Y-30. Hey listeners, here's a wild idea. Eat good, clean, delicious, sustainably raised meat. That's why we're going to talk about Wild Idea Buffalo. 100% grass-fed and finished meat. These are animals that lived a fabulous, healthy life out there on the great plains of South Dakota. Look at their website, wildideabuffalo.com, and the homepage picture is going to blow your mind. These beautiful animals out grazing. And you probably know or have a basic awareness of the distinct contrast between the horrible, miserable feedlot existence of the conventionally raised animal, a grain-based diet filled with hormones, pesticides, antibiotics, and a body filled with stress hormones when they slaughter it violently, 
You may not want me to go deeper here, but I will anyway. This is a quote from Jared Chrisman, primal health coach, who's in tight with the Wild Idea Buffalo people, introduced us. Thank you, Jared. He says, slaughterhouse animals have been taken out of their natural environment and trailered to a feedlot where they stand in their own feces eating corn grain and in some instances, expired human food like cookies and candy, sometimes with the wrapper still on. Then once the animals are sufficiently fattened up, they trailer them again, putting them under more stress, and they put them in shoots and kill them in mass quantities without regard to the animal's well-being. So this concept of having stress hormones running through the bloodstream, as any hunter will tell you, is bad news. If you don't get a clean shot on an animal and it suffers before it dies, you're going to have a meat that doesn't taste as good and has less nutritional value. Then we have the contrast of the natural life of the wild idea buffalo whose diet is basically water, grass, and sunshine. And supporting this goal of sustainability, they call it Beyond Organic, the company's mission to let them graze on the pasture, not ruin the native lands of America, but just be in harmony with the environment. And when you taste an animal that's been sustainably raised, you will notice a difference. Even if you're a less sophisticated consumer like me who just eats food for energy my whole life and goes out there and trains, of course, a little different now. But when I consume a pastured egg with that bright orange yolk, or when I bite into a grass-fed steak or some buffalo burger, which is one of the greatest meals, so simple to prepare. Try it yourself. Give them a chance. I know you will be extremely pleased with the quality of food that you get from wildideabuffalo.com. Here's what you do. Follow Brad's instructions carefully. Visit wildideabuffalo.com and hit the order button. They have organized everything for you with beautiful pictures. Click on monthly special Try their bundles so you get free shipping. If you're on a budget, hit the ground bison and burger section. They have all these different flavors and packages. And if you have pets and you care about them, you'll click on the pet food section and order up for those beautiful animals too. They deserve to eat healthy food instead of garbage in a bag. Wildideabuffalo.com. Check it out today. Thank you for listening.